Well, good morning, church. Good to be with you. Welcome to those of you who made it out in the frigid ice and cold this morning. And welcome to those of you who are wisely still in your PJs watching online. Uh, We who are gathered together envy you and are glad that you are with us today. Um, It's going to be a good day. Uh, Listen, it's a big day uh, for our church. If you haven't been paying attention, it really is a really big day. Uh, Some stuff starts today that's going to just really have a huge impact on our church for decades to come. All that starts tonight at 6 p.m. By then, it is going to be a balmy 30 degrees. So even you who are worshiping online right now will be able to be here in person tonight, 6 p.m. There is no online option for that. So make it here. Let's be together. If you can't make it tonight, be here Wednesday night. Uh, These vision nights are super, super important, and you want to be there for that. Uh, This morning, however, we're wrapping up our series thinking about Jesus' schedule and how that might teach us something about our schedule. We're asking this really simple question. How did Jesus organize his calendar? We started two weeks ago. We asked how did he organize a day, and what we discovered is that he organized his day to be filled with interruptions. Isn't that interesting? We sort of do the opposite, don't we? We try to organize our day so there aren't any interruptions. But Jesus, on purpose, organized his day so that it would be interrupted with times of devotion and prayer and study and reflection. He interrupted his day on purpose, drawing his attention to God. And then then last week, we looked at how he organized his week, and we found the same principle, that he interrupted his week uh, with with this discipline of the Sabbath, where one day every week was devoted to worship and prayer and reflection, pulling away from the busyness of work, not in a legalistic way. Remember, we said sometimes a sheep falls in a pit, sometimes there's work to be done. Jesus, in fact, teaches us that. But without the legalism, Jesus invites us to, to, to practice a rhythm of worship and rest. And, and so today, we're just taking this same question and now applying it to the level of our year. How did Jesus organize his year? What were the markers that marked the movement through the year? There was, of course, the everyday busyness, like our years. His year was dominated with all the tasks of his calling. His calling was to announce the kingdom of God and accomplish the mission of God. And so that, of course, dominated a lot of his year. He had weekly responsibilities, just like we do, responsibilities to the synagogue and responsibilities to his disciples and responsibilities to his community. And that, of course, filled up a lot of his year. But the year itself for Jesus, was punctuated with, organized by, his participation in the annual Jewish festivals, fasts, feasts, celebrations, that marked the life of a devout Jewish person of Jesus' day. Uh, The Bible is filled with evidence that Jesus participated in these uh, festivals. We know that he learned it as a child. Uh, Luke chapter 2 verse 41 says, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. This would have marked them as particularly devout Jews. Because even though this is what God's word instructs, most people didn't do it every year. It was a big trip to take, but they did every year. And Jesus would have grown up with this commitment. 
In John 7, you can go read it, there's this wonderful conversation between Jesus and his brothers about how they're going to go up to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Tabernacles. And they're like, should we go privately or should we go public? Should we make a big deal out of it? Should we go together or separately? And they finally work out their travel plans. I love that text because it sounds like every large family I know trying to figure out how to get together for Christmas. Uh, you go read it, John 7. You're like, oh, that's how we plan Christmas. Oh, yeah, that's, that's great. Then in John 10, we have another example, Um, the the Feast of Dedication. It says the Feast of Dedication came at Jerusalem and Jesus was there. It was the winter and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. Jesus is celebrating this feast. This wasn't even one of the required feasts of the Bible. This was in Jesus' day a relatively new celebration. Uh, It remembered God's rescue of God's people during the time of the Maccabees. And so this was a relatively uh, new, uh, this one now most of us know by the name Hanukkah. Um, and, uh, And so Jesus is celebrating that. And every gospel, All the Gospels record stories about Jesus celebrating the Passover. Uh, We could, again, read dozens and dozens of texts about Jesus celebrating the Passover. This was certainly the most important of all the Jewish festivals. When they remembered how God had rescued them uh, from Egypt, they had special meals to remember that situation. They had special worship uh, services and special prayers that they prayed. In, In fact, the meal that we remember as the Last Supper, what we just memorialized through the sharing of communion, that was a Passover meal that Jesus was celebrating with his disciples as he would have every year. And and so we know that Jesus uh, committed his year to this rhythm of fast and feast and festivals that were taught uh, in God's word. And this was part of Jesus' life. Uh, Now, of course, even though we know this about Jesus, uh, the truth is, Most of us don't know very much about these fasts and festivals. Most of us probably couldn't name them, and we don't know what they were. And honestly, it's beyond the scope of one sermon for us to become experts on all the Jewish uh, fasts and feasts and festivals. Uh, But but I do want to fix our ignorance just a little bit. I want to spend a little time knowing what these things were that Jesus would have celebrated. Um, Because knowing how Jesus divided up his calendar is going to give us some insight insight for how we can divide up our calendars. If you're curious, after this message and you want to learn more, you can find out about these uh, ceremonial observances all throughout the Old Testament. There's lots of information about them. Probably the most efficient place in the Bible to learn about them is where we'll go today, Leviticus 23. Because in one chapter, it lists all of them very, very briefly. Now, there are other places you can go to get lots of more detail, but Leviticus 23 is the easiest place to go to get them all in order. So if you've got your Bible on your phone, or if you want to reach in front of you, underneath the chairs in front of you, grab one of those Bibles there. We're just going to read through the whole chapter, because it lists all of these major fast feasts and festivals that Jesus would have participated in. And just see what we notice about how his year would have been organized. All right, starts like this, chapter 23. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. All right, so for starters, we know he's talking to the nation of Israel, and for the nation of Israel, this was to be their annual schedule. 
He, he starts by reminding them of their weekly schedule, what we talked about last week. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. Wherever you live, it is a Sabbath to the Lord. If you want to think more about this, go check out my message from last week. But then the rest of the chapter is about the annual commitments of God's people, how they organized their year. Uh, The first three are bunched all together in the early spring. Uh, The Passover is immediately followed by the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which is immediately followed by the offering of first fruits. So we're we're in verse 4 here of Leviticus 23. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. Now, we're not going to go into all the details you need to figure out how the lunar calendar that the Jews used compares with the solar calendar that we use. But suffice it to say, the 14th day of the first month is early spring. So depending on how the cycles line up, it's either late March or early April. Uh, But that's where we are in the year, early spring. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. On the 15th day of that month, so that's the very next day, the Lord's Festival of the Unleavened Bread begins. And for seven days you must eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. And then for seven days, present a food offering to the Lord. And on that seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. Now, again, there's probably more in the Bible about the Passover than any other one of these festivals will mention, even though Leviticus 23 just gives us one sentence. Uh, The Passover was a meal designed to remember how God had rescued God's people from slavery in Egypt. Every element of the meal was symbolic of some aspect of that rescue, some aspect of God's character. This meal would have been shared in a multi-generational context and used as a teaching tool to teach people how God had rescued them. The festival of the unleavened bread, which followed, was also important. It reminded them that at the time of Passover, they had to leave so quickly, there was no time to let the bread rise. And so they ate unleavened bread through all that time because that was all they could cook. And every element of this one day followed by one week celebration was designed to remind them that they were a saved people. It taught them who they were. And and, and in other places, the Bible says, keep this Passover so that your children's children's children will know what happened and know how you were rescued. And so this annual celebration became one of the most important ways they understood who they were and who their God was. And these two, the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, are immediately followed by the offering of the first fruits the very next day after the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. I'm in verse 9 now. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I'm going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. 
On the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice a burnt offering to the Lord, a lamb a year old without defect, together with its grain offering of two-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with olive oil, a food offering presented to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, and its drink offering of a quarter of a hint of wine. You must not eat any bread or roasted or new grain until the very day you bring this offering to your God. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. This festival, the offering of the first fruits, is one of three of the major festivals that are connected to the harvest. Uh, their, their agricultural cycle was different than ours, the Mediterranean climate, different cycle. They had three harvest seasons. And every harvest season begins with a festival like this. This is the first of the three. We'll talk about the other two in just a second. And there's a lot to notice. Uh, first of all, it, it makes sense that you would begin the harvest with a, a ceremony of gratitude to God, right? God having brought you through another year. God having made possible another opportunity to feed your family. For an agricultural society especially, the time of the harvest was a time when you were drawn to be grateful to God and recognize God's mercy on your life. But there's also in here an interesting principle that we'll see show up again and again in these festivals. And that is this instruction, that when the harvest comes, the first fruit of every harvest is given as a gift to God. This principle is taught through these festivals, but it's actually one of the bedrock principles of generosity for God's people that continues to be caught, taught in the New Testament. That in every time we reap a harvest of any kind, God's word teaches that the first thing we do with a harvest is give back to God. This idea of giving God the first and best of every harvest is consistent throughout all of God's word. And it starts with this festival of the first fruits. After this festival, they get a little festival break. You know, three in a row, that's a lot of festivals. Uh, so everybody's, you know, it's, it, you, know you, you know how it is. After, after New Year, you're sort of ready for a break from the holiday season, and they would have been ready for a break too. And so after the festival of the first fruits, they get a seven-week break from festivals. Or if you're counting after the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread, they get a 50-day break. And that's why this next festival has two names. It gets called the Festival of the Weeks because it's seven weeks after the Festival of First Fruits. It also gets called Pentecost, which means 50, because it's 50 days after the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. I know you're all totally with me. I haven't lost anybody. Let's just keep reading the Bible, okay? Because the next one is the Festival of the Weeks. So we've skipped forward. We're, we were in early spring, remember, for those first three. Now we're in early summer. We're in early summer. We normally today call this festival Pentecost, although it also is sometimes called the Festival of the Weeks. So here we are. Verse 15, from the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, so that's the festival of the first fruits, the one we just talked about, count off seven full weeks, or you can count off 50 days from the seventh Sabbath. That's why it's confusing. It ends up on the same day. And on that day, present an offering of new grain to the Lord. This is another harvest festival. Again, the way their harvests were staggered were 50 weeks, I mean, sorry, seven weeks later, 50 days later, it's time for another harvest. And so that harvest 
also begins with a festival of sacrifice to God. So present an offering of the new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an ephah for the finest flour baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Present with this bread seven male lambs, each a year old and without defect, one young bull, two rams. They'll be a burnt offering to the Lord, together with their grain offerings and drink offerings, a food offering and aroma pleasing to the Lord. Then sacrifice one male goat for a sin offering, two lambs, each a year old for a fellowship offering. Notice what's being worked into this celebration. We have some parts of the ceremony that focus on gratitude to God. Some parts of the ceremony that are focused on worship of God. Some parts of the ceremony that are focused on our sin and our need for forgiveness. Some parts of the ceremony that are focused on the community, the fellowship of God's people and our relationship together. You see, every part of this festival harvest ceremony is designed to re-anchor them to the nature, purposes, and work of God in their life. The priest is to wave the two lambs before the Lord as a wave offering together with the bread of the first fruits. These are a sacred offering to the Lord for the priest. On that same day, proclaim a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. This is to be a lasting ordinance for generations to come wherever you live. And then one last note about the festival of the weeks that I love. Up till now, all the parts of this ceremony have been drawing our attention to God, right? We've, we've confessed our sin, we've expressed our gratitude, we've worshipped God's majesty, we've celebrated the fellowship of God's people. But then the last part of this ceremony, look at this reminder. And when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. Built into this annual festival was a reminder of the obligation of God's people to care for the poor. We do it through food banks because very few of us are farmers. The way they did it, I love the way they did it. He just said, just leave some of the food in the field. It's just that simple. Just don't harvest all the food you grow. Can you just imagine how hard that would have been for a farmer in that day to not harvest everything they grew? And God says, just don't. Just leave some food in the field so that after you're finished harvesting what you harvest, those who are hungry and poor, maybe those whose, whose field, whose crops weren't that good that year, you know, they didn't have a good year like you did or the, the irrigation system broke down on them. Leave some food in the field so they can just walk, literally walk through your land, your fields, your crops and eat your food. That's what he says. And you see how in, baked into the holiday, this is like maybe some of you have a tradition on Thanksgiving. You, you bundle up your whole family and before you eat your Thanksgiving meal, you go down and serve at a food bank, right? This is that. He says, bake it into the holiday. Not just gratitude to me, not just worship to God, but generosity to one another. Bake it into the holiday every year so that you never forget. Never forget. The next two festivals are single days. Uh, no harvest involved in here. We just get two single days. So we're keeping going. Stay in Leviticus with me. Two single days. I know this is, for some of us, you've never heard of this before, and it's so much new information, and, and I'm not even giving you enough, and I, I, I apologize. But, but, it, but it's worth just reading this chapter and knowing the rhythm that would have marked Jesus' life. All right, two single days. The festival of the trumpets and the day of atonement. I'm in verse 23 now. 
Leviticus 23. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, on the first day of the seventh month, seventh month, you are to have a day of Sabbath rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. Do no regular work, but present a food offering to the Lord. I will say, this is one of my favorites. Because even though we, there, you know, I'm not saying there's nothing more to learn about this. You can go read through the whole Old Testament. You'll find a few more details about this one. We actually know very, very little about this festival, except that they played trumpets. Like, that's it. Like, it, it, was, just, it was just a day of celebration. It was just rejoice in the Lord was the announcement of this. And I love that. We have some holidays like that, don't we? You know, we're not even sure what they're for. They're just for having fun. You know, they're just for playing some trumpets and going to the lake. And they had a holiday like that too. A holiday like that too. Now, the other single day holiday they had is very, very different. The one just a couple weeks later, on the first day of the seventh month, we play trumpets. But now look with me in verse 26. The Lord said to Moses, on the 10th day, of the seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves. Present a food offering to the Lord. Do not do any work on that day because it is the day of atonement when atonement is made for you before the Lord your God. Those who do not deny themselves on that day will be cut off from their people. I will destroy from among you, from among their people, anyone who does any work on that day. You should do no work at all. This is a lasting ordinance for generations to come wherever you live. It is a day of Sabbath rest for you. You must deny yourselves from the evening of the ninth day of the month until the following evening you are to observe this Sabbath. Um, Most people today call this the day of atonement Yom Kippur. Uh, If you have friends who are Jewish, even if they're otherwise not very serious about their Judaism, they probably take Yom Kippur pretty seriously. Clearly, as you read through Leviticus 23, it's the most serious of the days. It's the only one that has this sort of little threat attached to it. Those who do not deny themselves on this day must be cut off from their people. Like, that's serious. And and we probably learn something from that, don't we? Of all the festivals, festivals of memory, festivals of celebration, festivals of gratitude, it is this festival the one where they turn and seek the mercy of their God, to which Moses attaches the warning that if you will not do this, you are cut off. And that's, of course, completely consistent with what Jesus teaches and what the New Testament witnesses to, that we need the atoning work of God. We are not sufficient in and of ourselves. We cannot maintain a relationship with God based on our own merit and our own work that we need the merciful atoning work of God lest we also be cut off. And so they had this festival. You can hardly even call it a festival. It wasn't much of a party. 10 days ago, they were playing trumpets, remember? But now here we are saying, take this day and do nothing But confess your sin, repent to the Lord, acknowledge your brokenness, that you might be brought back together. You might be atoned, rebuilt in relationship with God. One more festival uh, that's prescribed in Leviticus 23. 
And this is the one we call the festival of the tabernacles or the festival of the tents or the festivals of the booths. Basically, we're looking for some word that just means a portable house. Probably for us, tent is the, big, the, kind of the cleanest picture. It's the festival of the tents, but you'll see it show up with lots of different names. Festival of the tabernacles, festival of the booths. Verse 33 of Leviticus 23. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, on the 15th day of the seventh month. Now notice the seventh month has been busy, right? The first day of the seventh month, we played trumpets. The 10th day of the seventh month, we had a service of atonement, of confession of sin. On the 15th day, we have the festival of the booths, the festival of the tents. And this, uh, many sources tell us, was probably the biggest party of the year in Jerusalem. This one, they really celebrated uh, the festival of the booze. It lasts for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. For seven days, present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord. It's the closing special assembly, so do no regular work. This was also, if you skip down to verse 39, this was also the third of the three harvest festivals. Verse 39, so beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, after you have gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of Sabbath rest. The eighth day is also for Sabbath rest. On the first day, you take the branches from the luxuriant trees, palms and willows and leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in these tents. That's where the festival gets its name. Live in these temporary shelters for those seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So first, what do we notice? It's another harvest festival. So like all the harvest festivals, there's a first fruits offering. Before we, eat, before we eat the fruit of the harvest, we give to God. But this one is also designed in a way that also teaches them salvation history yet again. Just as Pentecost, I'm sorry, just as Passover, the very first festival of the year, reminded them how God rescued them from Egypt, also The Festival of Tabernacles, the last festival of the year, is about how God rescued them from Egypt this time. And you can just imagine, uh, just, I mean, how practical our God is, right? What easier way to teach your kids the story of God's faithfulness than to have every year an annual party where the whole family goes camping? I mean, that's what he says. I mean, just to be clear, we've got to look, look through this through the lens of the people. What he's saying is go camping for seven days to remember that for 40 years your ancestors wandered in the wilderness as I brought them in to salvation. Imagine as a parent trying to raise your children in the knowledge and wisdom of the Lord, Right? In the first century, you're trying to raise your children in the knowledge of the Lord. Think of how helpful these festivals would be to that task, right? If, if every fall, everybody you knew was going to go camping, why are we all going camping? Oh, and then you just tell the story. And you would tell the story of God's faithfulness and God's salvation, how God rescued God's people, and how you now to, you now to, we, you know, you say to your kids, we live in such a nice permanent house here in Bethlehem or Nazareth because of how faithful our God was in the past. 
And so we're going to live in tents for one week just to remember how our people used to have no home and used to have no land until God gave us this home and gave us this land. Now, um, by reading this one chapter, we've basically only listed the major festivals of uh, Judaism. And we have to go read dozens and dozens of other chapters and research a lot of ancient history to really understand all of these festivals. There's so much more we could learn about each of these. Uh, But for today, I just want to notice some general principles about how Jesus organized his year and how these annual interruptions functioned to keep the people of God organized around the work of God in their life. A couple things to notice. Uh, Number one, notice that several of these festivals were designed for them to remember their history with God. These festivals were designed to help them remember the faithfulness of God in their past. Notice how these festivals leveraged existing cultural realities to draw their attention to God. The harvest was happening whether we threw a festival to God or not. So because the harvest is happening, let's mark it with a ceremony of worship and gratitude and generosity to others. We also notice that they planned a schedule that consistently brought them back to God consistently called them out of their routine. And and notice that if you go back and read Leviticus 23, you'll notice the very most repeated phrase is the phrase, let this be a sacred assembly, do no regular work. That's the thing they keep saying again and again. Let this be a sacred assembly, do no regular work. As if the key thing that was needed, and I believe this was spiritually the essential ingredient, is that these festivals interrupted their life. Because when we're just living our life without these interruptions, we just get our head down staring at the next task and we forget about the goodness of God and the glory of God and the history of God. And so God declared these interruptive events so that they might remember their God. All right, so what are we going to do with this? Well, some of you may want to go study it more. There's so much more to learn about these festivals. They're really fascinating. But I just want to give you just the simplest of challenges, okay? It's going to involve your calendar. You might need to get out your phone or however it is you keep a calendar. Maybe you've got one of those big calendars you put on the fridge at home or however you do it. This is my challenge to you. Pick seven Sacred days of interruption. You you see, the thing is, you're you're not an Israelite. So this was a law for the nation of Israel. You're not part of the nation of Israel. So you don't have to keep these seven. You could. They're a good seven. But unless you're a farmer who harvests crops three times a year, it'll be sort of weird, you know, some of them, you know. Pick seven sacred days of assembly marked throughout your year in which you will do no regular work and you will give your undivided attention to the story and goodness of God. Remember our divine history, right? We also have a divine history. It includes the Exodus, but it also includes the cross and the resurrection and the birth of the church. 
This is why I, I think many people, we, a lot of us uh, make a big deal about Easter and Christmas, right? Because it lets us remember our divine history. Here's what you need to know, right? Um, we don't know when Jesus was born. We just picked that day. Why did we do that? Because of this. We needed an interruption of sufficient scale to disrupt our lives and make us focus on Jesus in the middle of the winter. That's great. And Easter, it's hard to know exactly when Easter was. You've got lunar calendars and solar calendars. It's all mixed up. You know, the Orthodox Church celebrates Easter on a different day than the Catholic Church does. It's very confusing. And if you want to argue that we got Easter wrong, fine. Just pick a day and say, on this day, I will focus on nothing else other than the risen Lord. And I'm going to interrupt everything else I have planned. And that day is set aside for remembering the resurrection. Uh, maybe you'll find help doing this in the Christian calendar. The Christian calendar is great. You know, that's Advent and Lent and Epiphany and Pentecost and all that. It's not taught in the Bible, so nobody has to do it. It's just a thing that Christians invented so they could do this, so they could interrupt their lives with events that call their attention to God. Maybe you want to use our national holidays, right? You're going to use July 4th to remember the freedom we have in Christ, and you're going to use Labor Day to remember that God is the one who really makes all labor possible, and everything is a gift from God, and that'll be your first fruits day, and you're going to give everything back to God or something like that. Maybe you're going to invent a family holiday. Some of us, some of us need to say, we're going to do that camping thing. Every year we go camping for these this amount of days. Why do we go camping? To remember the stories of God. And that's what we do. We tell, I don't know. What are your days going to be? Because here's the thing. If you don't pick some days, you'll just mutter through the year, never really stopping to give God your undivided attention. I mean, and this is the real simple lesson of this series as we've begun the year with is that this is how Jesus organized his time. And if Jesus is Jesus, the Savior of the world and our Lord, and we're trying to learn from him and live like him, then we need to know this is how Jesus organized his time. He chose, he on purpose chose to interrupt every day. Is your day do you have a system for interrupting your day that draws your attention to God? If you don't, my guess is you will fill your day with your attention focused on either yourself or the world. And when our attention is focused on ourself or the world, we move farther from God. Jesus chose to interrupt every day. He chose to interrupt every week. Do you have a strategy for interrupting every week? For, for a lot of you, it's this. You're, you, this is the thing. You go to church every Sunday, and you make Sunday a day dedicated to the Lord. Awesome. Praise God. That's the thing. Do that thing. But if you don't, get one, because Jesus had one. Jesus had a strategy for interrupting every week to give his undivided attention to God. And then Jesus had a strategy for interrupting every year. Markers throughout the year, a cluster in the spring, then a 50-day break, then another one, then another couple months off, then a couple in a row. Sort of randomly, it feels like, organized throughout the year. 
There was a day that forced him to remember how God had saved God's people. A day that forced him to give, to remember that everything he had came from God. And so every time he received anything, the first thing he should do with it is give some back to God. There was a day that made him remember the poor to feed his poor and hungry neighbors. There was a day for trumpets and a day for confessing sin. And a day for camping. That's awesome, right? Maybe you need a holy day of camping. I don't know. That's how Jesus lived his life. I want that. Uh, I mean, the, the crazy thing is, all of your relationships could use some interruptions, right? This is what we say to married couples. Married couples, interrupt the mundane business of who's doing laundry next with a date night every now and then, right? You need an interruption, Parents, interrupt the running back and forth from soccer practice with some time just to bless your kids. Families, interrupt all the squabbles with a, with a family reunion or a celebration every now and then. It's funny, I'm preaching this on uh, President's Day weekend, and uh, one, of the, one of the interesting, one of the, my favorite stories from my family is um, uh, maybe like 30 years ago, uh, when we realized that Christmas was getting complicated and a couple other things, my brother, and I think it was my brother and one of my cousins, they got talking and they said, we need to come up with some way to still get together as a family because Christmas is getting complicated. And they just announced, we're all getting together on President's Day weekend. Nobody else has anything to do. That'll just be our weekend. And we did that for 25 straight years. I loved it. It, it, was, it was a thing that just, we could just, it, was a, it just stopped our lives and we got to be with our family. We just declared President's Day weekend was, was family weekend. And I, I love that. And it got complicated and now we need a new interruption. And maybe you do too. All of your other relationships, you need these interruptions to maintain the relationship. And your relationship with God is no different. Interrupt every day. Interrupt every week. Interrupt every year. If you need help and advice, come talk to me. There's no plan that's perfect. Just make a plan and disrupt your day, your week, and your year so that your undivided attention goes to the glory and goodness and love of God. Let me pray for you. God, teach us to live like Jesus in all the ways, to forgive like him and love like him and be obedient like he was. And even in this, what feels relatively trivial, but we know would make such a difference, teach us to organize our time like Jesus did for your glory and for your goodness, for your honor, for your praise. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.